You have to be like the worst person to talk to at a party. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. This is how this thing works, but we'll deal with that later. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil the Robot. You don't work like that. Good comeback. That's a robotic comeback if I've ever heard one. Beep, beep, oil. <laughs> I don't know what robot noises make. I'll make, I'll make. I'll make a Roomba sound. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and the man buried up to his neck in Canadianness is Peter. Buried up to my neck in Canadianness and a weird, awful stomach ache since uh, seven in the morning. So this is going to be a fun day. I love when you wake up like that. Oh yeah, it's a fucking, especially when you know you got a long day ahead of you too. Well, you know what could help with a long day? Going to AdamandEve.com. And getting a long dildo. You can just get a fat one, too. You can get a wide one. Sometimes it's girth, not length. But go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight I want to talk about how movies... Okay, we have this thing called the suspension of disbelief. I'm in a weird spot, and I don't know where you guys are with suspension of disbelief, where I'm getting sick of yelling at movies and TV shows going, That's not how that works! People are like, so you're bitching about some of the technical aspects of this, but you do know we don't have faster than light travel and zombies don't really exist, right? It's like, yes, my suspension of disbelief, if the story is told properly, I can believe zombies exist in this world. But also not that someone can get dropped off of a 15-story building, bounce off of a car, get back up, and start fighting those zombies. There, There's this weird, are they talking down to us? Or are we expecting too much when we go, that's not how that works? Um, When it comes to this stuff, I don't care too much. To me, the whole point of a movie experience is whether or not I enjoy it. I don't normally do the barking at the screen sort of routine when I feel like something isn't realistic or I feel like this should be done a different way or whatever. I mean, I might do that if I'm just not enjoying the movie overall. Like if I'm just not liking a movie, if a, to me it's like the shitty dialogue that'll get me or if, if a scene just isn't executed well, if, if the choreography is just so poor that you can see the cuts and you can see the hits not landing or whatever, or just an effect looks effect looks so fake that you're like, how did they leave that in? That's usually when my suspension of disbelief sort of, uh, gets dropped, so to speak. Like, um, then I get, I get taken out of the movie. There are things that take me out of the movie that I'll find incredibly annoying or off-putting or just will ruin my experience. It's really more, more like that for me. If, if there's some sort of scientific thing that isn't like, wouldn't be real in real life or some sort of physics thing, like you said, somebody falling 15, 20, whatever, 40 feet off a building and land a car getting up and fighting again. I don't really care as long as it's executed well, as long as it's a fun movie. 
to me, it's bad dialogue. People that, that don't even talk like they're even remotely human, like that, that bothers me more than anything. Like the, like the dialogue in movies like Birdemic or a movie I tried to watch, um, ironically, but ended up like just getting so endlessly pissed off over was, uh, uh Fifty Shades of Grey. Like those are the people in that aren't, aren't even people. They're not even robots. They're, they're from some weird like lizard planet. They're trying to be humans. Something that, that necessarily exists in reality. But if it doesn't draw me in and if it's, if it's annoying, then I might yell at the screen a bit. But when it comes to physics or what's realistic in real life compared to what's realistic in a movie, eh, I don't really care too much. Lizard people. So Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of the sex movie for the Logan and Jake Paul group. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's whatever planet they're from. It's catered to them for sure. Not to get into a whole tangent here, but that was a movie I was expecting to be so bad that it's funny, and it, it ended up feeling like it was six hours long. I've never read the entire book. I could not get through the book. The book is one of the most illiterate, <laughs> incompetent books I've ever read in my life, and how anyone finds that book both erotic or well-written, well, you're what's wrong with this country. Well, it was originally time, a Twilight fan fiction that was somehow published like only that in america was written in text it was written she texted the entire book to herself so it was written in text <laughs> oh easy god i wish i, I were joking i didn't know that part <laughs> i didn't know that part either that's horrible uh it, it, it makes sense my wife her her friend who is much younger than her she uh she's like oh uh and that not not to make my wife sound old, but to make her friend sound young. She read the book and was like, oh, my God, this book's so hot. You need to read it. And my wife read it. And she's like, she's, I'm, I'm like, how bad is it? She's like, let me let me show you this. And she points me to this one part of the book and I'm reading it. And it's like and, and I'm not even joking. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not really exaggerating. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, baby. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm like, this, this reads like they're, they're just mouthing stuff that they saw in a porn movie. And I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something like, and he looked at me with the desire of like a mother gerbil about to eat her babies. And I went, <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, there was that episode of South Park where they wrote, where Cartman wrote, uh, Scrody McBoogerballs and he basically made like the worst thing ever and it ended up being like really popular. I think that's kind of like what this felt like. It was just like, Hey, let's see. I mean, I know the story behind it, but and now I know more about it that it was texted, but like that it was shit. It, it, it just, it, it, it begat more shit. It begat a trilogy of shit. <laughs> and it's just, it's astonishing to me that uh, something this bad, I mean, people thought that Twilight was written bad. And then this comes along and it's basically aping Twilight and it became this really horrible attempt at covering uh, S&M and just failing in every possible way. And See, it, it, it's not it's not even good S&M. S&M is not personally my thing, but I'm friends with people in that community. And they're like, this is written by somebody who's only ever seen S&M on HBO programming. It was yeah. written by somebody who thinks S&M is inherently abusive. Like it's somebody that doesn't understand it at all. They're, oh yeah, the, the yeah. movie at least. Christian the, Gray I've never read the abuser. book, but I've only seen the first movie, and basically they're toting this whole idea that because he had kind of an abusive childhood or whatever, he's taking out his aggressions on women now, and it's like that's not how dom sub relationships work at all. 
it's somebody had, had put the only the only reason that women find this sexy is because it's this like multi-millionaire guy and he's bringing this girl into his fantasy meanwhile if it was carl at the gas station he'd be under arrest for abuse times where you know if it's a superhero movie i am willing to put my belief you know put my suspension of disbelief way out there because we're already you know talking about superheroes and whatnot if it's an action movie depends on the style of action movie if it is a john wick where uh you're kind of you know having shit happen and and here's this guy who he hasn't slept and he's kicking ass and and he's killing a bunch of people i'm not sitting there counting the amount of rounds he fires out of his gun i'm enjoying the uh the gun foo and sword play and all that mm-hmm. other stuff it but i mean if you have something a little bit more grounded if you have something that is more serious of an action movie and you try to introduce elements of things that you're just like all right wait a minute that guy just fell out of like a 10-story window and he's still alive i'm not really buying that too much well, um, yeah, however like if you're watching say like a scorsese mobster kind of movie or something you're, you're expecting something that's more grounded in reality you know violence that looks like crime scene photos that kind of stuff Something that yeah. feels like, oh, this would be a story you might see on the news. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's it's realistic. Director of Atomic Blonde had recently said, I think he said it in his commentary for the movie. He said while they were shooting the film, they had one rule, and that was cool overrides everything. Mm. And I think that in that style of movie, it worked because everything, like it felt like, I don't want to say ridiculous, but it was like, it was pushed in a way that it was like, okay, that, that would not happen, but it looked great. But, but Atomic Blonde, unlike a lot of action movies, showed all of the bruises and damage. Oh, yeah. She took throughout that movie. Yeah, so that's what I like to credit see. For that. There's, there's oh, a lot of that usually, missing in a lot of current action yeah. movies. That whole thing, you know, where John McClane starts out with a perfectly pristine white tank top and it's black by the end of the movie. Yeah. It's black. He's bleeding out of his feet. He's limping. Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of action movies where uh, the hero takes on, you know, a group of, of uh, you know, hundreds of bad guys wins and just kind of <laughs> and he grabs the girl around the waist and they go and they have a good dick in. But uh, <laughs> like with, with Die Hard and uh, with with like Atomic Blonde and what like at the end, they're just be- I mean, die- I was kind of shocked with uh, with Atomic Blonde because like she's bruised cut black eyes she was tenderized she got the ass kicked out of her while it was going on like she you know she was still taking it in stride and was kicking ass and it it worked but yeah they did they did not shy away from her occasionally getting you know getting pounded but actually coming out the other side the victor but you still took a beating and so that i don't mind but i think that there are some movies where they go in a direction where it's like okay that's not even remotely believable but Mm. the bottom line is realism doesn't always work in movies because if things worked the way that they worked in reality, it would be boring. And especially because you're trying to condense a story that's maybe a couple of weeks or months or whatever over the span of two hours. And so you have to condense things. Maybe you show the actor getting down and resting for, you know, but you're not, you know, you're not going to lay down, have a full night's sleep, get up, go, you know, uh, get some coffee, take a crap. You know, we don't want all of that realism. We want to see them go out there, kick ass, save the galaxy, do whatever. And if a certain amounts of reality and realism need to be shred here and there in order to kind of get to that point. I don't mind it nearly as much. I mean, look at like Albert Pune's Captain America. That one took, I mean, it's not necessarily a realistic movie, but you've got Cap like gassing all the time. 
like he'll stop to like catch his breath and it's like oh god this isn't captain america this is some guy who steals cars from old men and gets <laughs> tired steals bicycles from little girls and just throws change at her he stole he stole two cars and a bike like captain america was a jerk <laughs> that was like the most realistic depiction of a superhero i think you could get it's like well he's not really going to get around by flying or running he's going to get around by carjacking and leaving okay leaving people in the middle of nowhere <laughs> where they're like so the, the second guy he steals it's like his old dude ned Beatty. it was ned, oh it's right it was ned Beatty. he leaves poor ned Beatty out in the middle of tanscatatan and like just <laughs> on his dirt road now he's gonna like walk back you think ned Beatty can walk back to town he, 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 if, if he hears dueling banjos he better run yeah he could have at least given it look all right can you give me a lift to town i gotta save the world from this guy called red skull <laughs> who's italian for no reason well you know movie magic what about the legal system in movies now obviously you know like i said with suspension of disbelief you can buy certain things but not others like i recently watched two movies from the 90s that i i enjoyed both movies overall but i just kind of kept yelling at the screen going that's not how that works in the legal system and that was wishmaster 2 and shocker in that's wishmaster shocker. 2 yeah really yeah, in wish it, in, in Wishmaster 2, the Jin gets caught, in quotes, at a robbery. It's part of the plot. Okay, this guy has no fingerprints, no social security number, no history. He confesses to the murder because he wants to go to prison. They just send him to prison, and even a news report in the thing says the robbery was two days ago, and he's already been sentenced to death. And I'm going, no, not how that works. Dude, it's Wishmaster 2. Yeah, really? Of all the things to get that huffy about. I mean, and I don't even know what you're going to say turned... about Shocker, but I'm going to stop you right now. It, it's about a murderer that becomes an electric demon thing that goes into TV. <laughs> and I'm TVs. okay with that part, Pete. He turns Kane Hodder into a door. <laughs> Your argument is invalid. Well, that was in the first film. That was in the first. That wasn't in two. I thought that was in the. No, that was the Kane Hodder thing was in the first one. Wow. Okay. Well, still point. Point still standing. This is a a film from from that general mindset. A man who can turn you into a door. But I'm just saying, like with Shocker, there's not even a trial. They catch Horace Pinker trying to kill someone, and the next day he's being executed. And I'm just no. Not how that that works. uh, And he's a white guy too. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, okay, we even need to talk about executions in movies. You always see this electric chair thing. That's not how that works. You know, okay, the the Green Mile did it realistically. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's that, that's that type of movie. But like like the horror show and Shocker and that with their face open and everybody in the same room. I mean, yes, they do have viewings, but they're not literally in the same room and all this. And I'm, it's just that's not how that works. That's for show. They're just Electric doing it. Electric man. They're making it more shocking than it would be in real life. Ha. I didn't mean for that pun. I meant the first time when I said that's a shocker, but this time was just me up since fucking 6.45 in the morning. It's like, look, if they were to present it the way that it normally is, uh, it, it would not be nearly as exciting, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. And the other thing, too, it kind of flips in the other direction, where it's funny that, in general, we've seen executions and we've seen courtroom stuff and all that kind of truncated to the point of where so many movies and televisions people see it that or shows present them that way that if you presented them realistically people in that case may not buy them wait a minute you know is this how this really works 
Yeah, they might find it. Wait, you mean uh, he's going to trial trying. nine months later? Yeah, you know, and he gets thrown out on a technicality, and then goes back and murders the rest of the family or something. Okay, but then what about what about the other the legalities of like say a superhero universe, for example, like Batman? So. Let's just look at this on a legal sense. Like, even in the Nolan Batman movies, Batman, you know, will catch a criminal, he'll tie him up or leave him for the cops, and then you see him in jail. And you go, no. First, there'd be no chain of evidence. There would be numerous legal issues that would come up at trial because, for one thing, Batman would have to testify about what he saw. Second, you can't testify under an alias, so Bruce Wayne would have to testify. Third, as I said, there's no chain of evidence, so... Nothing that, you know, like the, the bag of money or whatever that they were stealing would be admissible in court. You're like, no, Batman and Spider-Man and all that, these guys don't go to jail when you catch them. This is why they should really just kill all criminals. This is why the Punisher's got it right. <laughs> or like, what's Shadow the point? Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. In real life, they would just be let out. It's like, where's the, where's the proof? What, there's a note from Batman? Well, Batman needs to testify. Well, Batman ain't showing up. Because the bat symbol is on the roof of the Gotham Police Department, Batman is acting, therefore, as an agent of the police. Well, isn't he? So, therefore, he has to abide by police rules. Well, in some of the, like, comics, he's considered, like, a detective by the police force or whatever. Like, he's kind of working with them in a way as, like, like an independent uh, officer of the law. Which means he has rules, because there are rules for police officers. If you get a, somebody like the Punisher or a lesser known character from Image called Shadowhawk, where mm. uh, he would catch a criminal in a violent crime and would break their back and cripple them so that they would not they wouldn't he wouldn't kill them, but they would never, ever be able to commit another violent crime again. And Shadowhawk so was, was kind awesome. Of, I used to have a Shadowhawk action figure. Really? Oh, he died of AIDS. Yeah, that was that was his whole thing. But it was really, uh, it was cool. I, I liked that. I liked, you know, that was part of the, you know, I mean, it was, oh, 90s, it was so edgy. And I'm like, you know what? It was different. It was something, they, they had some balls to do something a little bit differently. That but as far as going. In, I kind of missed when being edgy wasn't an ironic thing. You could just make like a cool character that was violent or had big scary teeth or whatever without some numbnut being like, oh, the edgy. You so edgy, yeah. I cut myself exactly. Yeah, I cut myself on that edge. Oh, Christ, you're the reason why now things suck. People like that are the reason why everything's watered down and things that people are afraid to actually go like 100% unironic and genuine with stuff. On to the other thing, onto the Batman stuff. I look at it as here is a world not unlike our own, but much different. Being is that now we have superheroes and whatnot maybe the legal system isn't exactly the same way as it is well, here yeah i mean batman technically takes place in a world like he's he's after superman superman was there first so you mm-hmm. have a very different world already that's been full of these masked crusaders and supervillains and whatnot so yeah there there is that element of, of the world changing i mean josh is looking at it in the stance of it being compared directly to our world which is not fair we don't have a superman that we know of, the government has been keeping that shit under wraps. Don't you people listen to Alex Jones? On their secret moon base. Uh, the I'm secret moon base with the... all, the, all the gay frogs. Yes, it's because they turned the freaking frogs gay! <laughs> okay, well then, uh, how about just how easy movies and TV make it seem how easy it is to kill someone? Now, obviously, in reality, it's really easy to die. 
You know, we see it all the time, stupid mistakes and whatnot. Oh, yeah. But like, now, now this is the one I'm going to br- the example I'm going to bring up is specifically like a zombie movie, Walking Dead and lots of modern zombie films. Do you, you guys mean, understand like how people, just how th- people's skin basically just turns into like jello or cream cheese uh, the, the minute <laughs> somebody <laughs> scratches them a little bit? Not, not just that, but yo, yeah, zombies have a great bite. I don't know if you guys have ever bitten somebody. Do you know how much PSI is required to break through and take a chunk off somebody? A lot. Zombies just need to graze you with your, their teeth and giant hunks of flesh fall off. Trust me, I've but, had some kinky sex. It takes a lot of force. But I'm talking about, like, do you guys realize just how thick and hard bone is? Oh, God. I love how, like, in The Walking Dead, everybody just stabs through the zombie skulls l- l- like it's talcum okay, paper. I totally know what you're talking about. I'm going to bring up something else that pissed me off from a whole other different thing, but it's the same thing you're talking about, like very easily detaching a limb or cutting through bone. Now, normally this kind of, like I talked about this earlier, the normally physics and shit don't really annoy me in movies unless it's, unless I'm enjoying it or unless it's good. When I first saw the Platinum Dunes Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, I was enjoying it overall. I really enjoyed Arlie Ermey's performance, but then there's that scene where, was it Jessica Biel? She was in it, right? She's like yes, the survivor so. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's hiding in the locker with the meat cleaver and she hacks at Leatherface, I think like two or three times and his arm falls off. And I was like, no, no freaking way. I know the guy's got a skin disease, but he's still like 300 pounds of Andrew Bernarski and Jessica Beale is like 70 pounds of nothing. Like I, I didn't buy that for a second. Some, for somehow this guy who can like run at linebacker speed with a chainsaw is going to get just get his arm hacked off that easily no also look at the fact that bone is so thick and hard have you guys ever watched a dog try and eat through a bone do you guys know how hard a bone is there are things called bone saws in coroner's offices for a reason you mm. can't just slash at this like you see this all the time in kung fu movies and i'm, I'm more forgiving in like you know a shaw brothers movie where people just have their arms slashed off with one swipe of a katana and you're like no, physics says that doesn't work. Yeah, well, have you ever seen a ninja? No, nobody has because they're ninjas. Right. <laughs> so how do you know they couldn't use their magical ninja arts to cut people's arms and limbs and heads off? We're not well, talking could... about ninjas. We're talking about regular people here. <laughs> no, we're talking if you said Shaw Brothers. Now we're Those talking not ninjas. ninjas. Okay. We're talking we're talking like kung, right, kung fu masters. Sonny Chiba's not a ninja as much as I would like to say he is. Sonny Chiba is a living god. I didn't say he wasn't. I just said he's not a ninja. Sonny Chiba can kill you with his thoughts. Sonny Chiba is a ninja. Let's uh, Actually, we probably shouldn't be saying that. He's trying to keep it a secret. Right. And and Kane Kasugi, oh my god. And Sho Kasugi. And Sho Kasugi, both of them. Right. But I mean, like, you watch The Walking Dead effortless how they just stab 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 cut stab stab it's like no guys no now if you went through an eye socket or an ear hole fine okay because you already have a canal to the brain but the skull is the thickest bone in the human body you are not just going to be stabbing a piece of rebar through the back of the skull and coming out the front unless you have i mean like with, with no strength. effort no they're just doing it like like we would like we would stab through curtains Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, also with like The Walking Dead, the zombies are super, super strong. Remember when Dale died and the zombie just reaches into his chest and rips his rib cage open? Again, to go to coroner's offices, there are things called rib splitters that have a special tool 
Why? Because the ribs are so strong. Why would a zombie be stronger than a person? Uh, I don't I, know. I mean, that those are just zombie rules. But I'm just saying, this is another one of those, that's not how that works. You have to be, like, the worst person to talk to at a party. <laughs> like, I get quite annoyed when I keep doing this when we're watching horror movies together. Oh, God, I, I want to divorce you. I get where you're coming from in, in regards to that, like, uh, the, the physics of a, of a human body and bone and, and whatnot. Like, I can I can usually forgive it in most horror films and whatnot because they're just trying to be gory. And a lot of the time, the villain will kind of be meant to be superhuman like like in the case of jason you know you you can buy that this guy can like throw people through walls or rip off limbs uh and stuff because he's meant to be super strong they established that very early on that he can like smash through doors and shit like that so in, in that case we, we we're kind of set to assume that zombies for whatever reason are stronger than people well it, it, okay it's the same thing with like beheadings you always see people in movies, or even like the first Friday the 13th, just a slight swipe and the head comes right off with, you know, a sharp object. Mm. Have you ever watched any of those beheadings, those ISIS videos or anything? When I worked in the news, I saw a couple of those. I saw that one journalist get beheaded. It's messy. It takes a half dozen swipes to get through. A real beheading is not like what you see in the movies. Mm. Honestly, it's... Watching those ISIS videos made me physically ill. Maybe well, it was that. Yeah. Maybe as well, it should. <laughs> well, 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 I'm just saying. I've seen beheadings in so many horror movies. Now, maybe it was my subconscious telling me I know this is a real man being butchered in front of me, or it was just man. Horror movies did not prepare me for what a real beheading looks like. That's kind of like anything. I mean, they. Well, first I'll go into the the whole beheading thing. Think that if they actually showed them the way that they really work. Uh, they probably would get an X rating. It probably oh, yeah. would be too violent for for a movie. And it also it also depends on the spirit of the film. You know, uh, is this supposed to be a uh, you know Friday the Thirteenth? All right, we're not going to show it realistically, or is it going to be something like Seven, where they want to show the brutality of it? Or even think, like uh, the first Exterminator movie, the the Vietnam scene, where that dude's head just like slowly comes off. Oh, that oh, was yeah. nasty. Oh, it, it all depends on the tone that they want to set and how uh, how realistic they want it to be in that case. But like a lot of things, like when, you know, video game, playing Call of Duty does not make you an expert marksman. Watching horror movies with uh, beheadings and all that does not prepare you for, you know, seeing something that horrific in real life. Um, and I think that that really is what that boils down to. Well, then let's go to the opposite. We've been talking about death. Let's talk about sex. I, one thing that really bugs me in movies, and again, that's not how that works. Have you ever noticed when people have sex, first of all, it all looks like it's a Red Shoe Diaries episode in movies. It, it's never the messy, awkward sex where you're like accidentally kneeling on her hair and then she moves and, you know, hits you in the face with her tit and stuff like that. Well, that, it, it's, it's never they that. They do that in like comedies. Okay, in comedies, I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more in trying to play sex as this is sexy. You also, well, it's, a, it's, it's the same sort of thing with, with horror movies where they try to up the violence and make things kind of ridiculous and over the top. In, in a romantic movie, they're trying to make this like ideal romance novel kind of thing. And, and this is something that American movies are a lot more guilty of. I mean, if you watch a lot more like European sort of dramas and romance and, and character driven films, the sex is very realistic. Like it's just kind of it's one one angle kind of kind of sloppy looking. Neither neither person is is in the best shape. 
they're just kind of normal looking. It, it all really depends on what, uh, what venue you're looking at. But I think as far as like s- sort of A-list celebrity romance movies, from the nineties or even now it's like they do try to make it very, very idealistic where there's even a, a trope um, or not a trope, but like a behind the scenes thing where, where the woman will get ice cubes on her nipples. So they're always erect and always very like prominent looking. And obviously the guy will be told to go bench press and do sit ups for like two hours before the scene. So he's got a fresh pump. Um, I mean, that's usually how they do it in like American A-list celebrity romance movies. And that's just how it is. But if you look at comedies or if you look at like European movies, it's, it's very different and played more, more truer to life. It really depends on how you, how you look at it and what angle you're looking at it from. Well, I, I think we also got to look at the after as well. No one ever cleans up. In a, in a movie. The FBI agent that's got the witness and they're hiding out in the hotel and they have sex. And then when they're done, they just get dressed. And I'm going, ew, you know both of you are really sticky right now. There's going to be <laughs> massive spots on the sheets. You guys are both going to need to, even if you can't, don't have time to take a shower, you both got to wipe down. You're both yucky. She's going to have to do that crab walk to not drip goo into the bathroom. They never show that part. Yeah, that, the, the, there's two things that bug me in, in movies where they have romance scenes. The girl is getting drilled and the bra does not come off. And oh, that bothers the f- out of me. It's just Damn, like, no nudity clause. Yeah, exactly. Stupid Catherine Heigl. You know, like, if you're gonna do that, then just get under a blanket, why don't you? And, or when and you then, see the guy who uh, still, still has his pants on or his underwear are still up. Yeah, wakes up the next day and there's st- like, she has bra and panties on and he has like his underwear on. It's like, what, get, get out of here. But then they always do the, the, you know, oh, they just finished. It was epic. They're, they're spooning and I'm like, ew, like the great wall of wet spot. You're nor- you're at, you're like the, the complete opposite ends of the bed afterwards. Just like, eh. you know, like you said, the, or something I've said numerous times, girls fucking awkwardly crab walking to the bathroom so she doesn't get any of that on the rug. You know, she got to wipe out. I mean, Okay, you have to it's, wipe out. You guys are both going to get urinary tract infections if you don't clean up. Yeah, don't, you know, and then if you, if you are the dude and you fall asleep, you wake up and you have to freaking peel your, uh, your junk off your leg like a freaking fruit roll up to, <laughs> because. Just, ugh, just get it out of there and then maybe the ta- the the blanket stuck to you no it's it's nasty so, but i mean again you know people want the event you don't want the aftermath and that like with 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 uh violence in movies you want the event and the aftermath with sex you want the event you don't you don't want to be reminded that oh yeah afterwards you're just laying there in your own shame well then let's move from sex to dialogue Peter, really early in this episode, you brought up bad dialogue. One thing that bothers me so much, because I'm, since I'm writing a book on unaired pilots, a pilot is meant to establish everything, right? So you need to establish character relationships. Right. The first thing that clues me into this is not going to be a well-written pilot is usually 10 to 15 minutes into the pilot, characters who we have, you know, seen interacting and, you know, know we have history will give us an exposition dump on information they already know. I love when a conversation in a movie goes, as you know, and they go to explain the plot of the movie again. And you go... That character is is your boss and already knows this. Why are you telling him this information again in such intricate detail? No, that's bad script writing because you can't figure out a better way to get us that detail. That Mm. just bugs – that kind of dialogue bugs the hell out of me where it's like the characters already know this. You don't have to go over this to them. Be clever 
and find a better way to get the information to us. Or just take your audience more more seriously. Like I can't stand overabundance of like expository dialogue. It it completely takes me out of the movie. I think that that's a big one on my list too. It drives me nuts when they're just they can't figure out a way to express to the audience without outright telling them. It's yeah, like, look, that's something. Um, like I I just recently did a review of of Lindsay's Nightmare City, and that's one of the things that kills that movie for me. Is it has it, it's like eighty percent exposition it's mostly mostly exposition people just standing around in some control room or boardroom going they've taken over the left side of town we don't know when power is coming back up it could be days tell us the update <laughs> power's still not up oh no and it's like 15 minutes of this it's like really we we get it there's like an outbreak ep- epidemic of these crazy infected people running around show us more of that that's what we're here to see yeah, definitely the more of a show don't tell. It's mm. like if you can if you can have uh something in there even if it's a very simple just aside uh, a quick broadcast in the background while something else is going on like yeah. there are little ways that you can do it. not just standing there ah right, here's the plot and we're you know it's just it's so lazy it's awful like what what else was really guilty of that the robocop remake remember oh, when they're like God. revealing what's really left of him and what's his face I, I forget what what the guy's name was. Even the actor. I know it was something stupid. It rhymed with cinnamon. Yeah, I, I uh, whatever. Where he's like uh, cinnamon. It, 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 yeah, it was the we gotta cut her heart out guy from Suicide Squad. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's yeah, it's like revealing that he's just like a couple lumps and a head, and he's literally just commentating on it, like, oh my god, oh my god, there's nothing left. There's nothing left of me. It's like we know we're we're watching you. Can you display this in your face instead? You know, Peter Weller did a great job of that. Now, mm-hmm. now I, I'm going to contradict myself here for a moment and praise Joss Whedon because that's not always the case. I remember I got the original copy of fi- the Firefly pilot like four months before Firefly ever, and I was mm-hmm. severely disappointed at one of the changes they made. the The whole Battle of Serenity is one of the things that Firefly is based on, and that happened in the past. The aired pilot opens with the Battle of Serenity, and this goes mm-hmm. against Cecil's show "Don't Tell," and they show it, and you know it looks like you know space opera stuff. In the original pilot, and this is where I can't believe I'm praising Joss Whedon, that scene wasn't there. It was the two Hmm. surviving characters extremely emotionally retelling the Battle of Serenity. And because of the actors' performances, I really preferred the tell versus the show. I'm well, like, it was well, way like more emotional. Show and great. It was way more emotional and it was way more impactful without seeing it. So show don't tell doesn't that's the, that's always the thing fit. is it can be, that can be really good if you've got really good actors to do it. Like it really depends with exposition. It's a fine line to tread. If your actors suck and you've got them just standing around in a boardroom for upwards of five to ten minutes explaining the plot, it's going to get boring. But when you've got actors that are engaging as hell, it's going to be great. So I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, the Cecil's show don't tell isn't always a hard and fast rule. I've seen some things where the tell is way better than the show. Oh, it's, oh, it's a fine ex- line for sure. Yeah. There's exceptions to every rule. Sometimes they'll do it and it just, you can, it doesn't work. 
And they say, you know what, this is more effective if we just do like a quick, uh, you know, one or two sentences or we have somebody talking about what happened. It definitely does work that way. But yeah, mm. I mean, it, it, it's just that there are too many times, like what Peter was saying with that movie, they went on and on and on about it instead of something that they could have expressed in yeah. a, a little well, bit of dialogue instead well, of like, too uh, overwhelmingly I'll, I'll make, dialogue. make two good examples, like Night of the Living Dead, uh, the remake, the, the 90s remake with Tom Savini, when, when Tony Todd is sort of talking about what happened in town. You know, the, the good old boy with the machine gun and breaking in through the diners actor. and all that stuff. That is amazing. Like that story really, really draws you in. Another, another good one is the opening to Road Warrior. The, the narration talking about the fall of the world and all this stuff and showing a mix, a mix of stock footage and footage from the first Mad Max. Like that is, that really draws you into the movie and it's incredibly engaging. And then you've got the opening to like the nineties Judge Dredd, which is like, and the third millennia, this blah, blah, blah happened with text crawl. Fucking hate that shit. One of the worst. Oh my God. The Uwe Boll and I'm, you know, alone in the dark. He did. Oh. Alone in the dark. That was like five minutes of text crawl. And I'm it like, was, it you... didn't even have, um, voiceover either. Like you had to read that shit. Well, the, I, no, I it had, think... it did have voiceover. I'm yeah, pretty, it, I remember because I remember it, them. It did have voiceover. The Afghani. Oof. Yeah. The worst thing yeah. about, <laughs> the worst thing about Alone in the Dark's text crawl was that was added after the fact because all of that information is later given in the movie. So it was completely oh, superfluous because people were complaining, because they weren't paying attention, obviously, that they couldn't follow the movie. First of all, I didn't have a problem following the movie, but that's neither here nor there. That text crawl literally told us everything that the movie is are going to tell us in ten minutes. <laughs> it was so pointless. Yes. Yeah, it really, it didn't need to be there, like you said, because the whole movie, the whole movie tells you everything that's in the text crawl. Actually, at one point, I think the movie grinds to a halt so that they can pretty much give almost a word-for-word truncation of what they're <laughs> saying in the text crawl. Oh, the Abkhani was this species, and they're, oh, for Christ's sake, it was so <laughs> awful. Where is the line of disbelief? Now, obviously, we, we've said, like, you know, obviously you're, you're pushing it a little bit when you're in a superhero movie or zombies or something that can't happen. But mm. what, what about if it's like a crime thriller? Is, is trying to be in quotes realistic, but then you're like, yeah, that's not how that works. You know, the, the, the police have rules. You wouldn't, you can't just do that without a warrant. And, you know, you see this a lot in, especially drama television, like ER and things like that, where you go, just because you rattle off a bunch of sciencey sounding gobbledygook, there's a video series online where an actual ER doctor goes over old episodes of ER and Chicago Home and the good doctor and he's like yeah none of that is how it actually happens in an emergency room i just realized something you are the neil degrasse tyson of like movies you're like instead of just like hey that's you know this was cool you're well you know this stinks and this is why it was bad and you just want to ruin it for everybody <laughs> neil degrasse tyson's a movie ruiner <laughs> no he he's always like he's like you know time is relative and he'll he'll like he'll explains like somebody will be like hey happy birthday you know birthdays are, it's just like oh he just everything yeah, he doesn't he doesn't just ruin movies he ruins everything i like yeah, him. He, he, he just tyson. Break. i like him of course you do <laughs> Because he's a crum, he's a very smart curmudgeon, and you you're just a curmudgeon. Hey, <laughs> but but okay, 
what about something like like a crime thriller or or, or like uh, let's go let's go to the ER thing. There are so many doctor shows out there that pretend they're smart and they use actual doctor terms and doctor technology. They don't want to actually, you know, doctor. And I get it, these are actors, but when real doctor, you get the same thing with cop shows. You don't know how many police officers I've spoken to that are like, yeah, these cop shows, what the hell? That's not how cops work. It's actually created an entire generation of people who think this kind of thing works. In the early 2000s, when CSI was so huge, there was a thing, actually, a, a term called the CSI effect. Where so many mm. people saw CSI and how cool it is and all the zooms and, you know, we can use the mass spec and get this and we can enhance, zoom and enhance and all this. There was a mass boom, 800% increase in applications to criminal investigation, crime scene investigation, technical schools. A 600% then drop the next year when they found out it's nothing like CSI. We don't, we don't, we aren't there with the cops. The CSIs aren't interrogating people. The CSIs aren't carrying guns. You don't, you don't get DNA results in an hour. It's not like that, people. Well, of course not. Of course it isn't. It's, it's just, people are stupid. Uh, I used to work at a, at a college in Philly and they had a, uh, a crime scene, like division, like, uh, you know, teaching people to, uh, uh, how to, how to get into that. And like when CSI really blew up, they had a lot of applicants and they were getting into school and then they were complaining about how all of this stuff so was boring. really boring. And, and where's all the enhance, enhance. And I, and that's, that's kind of depressing because it's like they're smart. I, I can't say what school it was, but it's, it's a pretty big one out here. They were smart enough to be able to get the grades to be able to be admitted in this, but not smart enough to know that television isn't real. We shouldn't have to say that. um, Yeah. I think that's bad. You need to see The Watcher with Keanu Reeves. I seem to remember Keanu not being terrible in that. And I like James Spader in that too. It's a really, it's a really Mm -hmm. entertaining movie, but when it comes to the actual investigation elements with like James Spader and stuff and the whole, that one really takes the enhanced trope to a whole new level because they get a picture that was taken on like a, like a shitty disposable camera and they're able to enhance it to like canvas to see like you know the reflection in in the the woman's glasses and who was standing there in front of her when it's like all that would do is just pixelate to all shit yeah we aren't quite there yet we especially weren't there when that movie came out in like 99 no like i don't think that i mean i think you know yeah we'll be there eventually because i mean just look at how 4k tvs and stuff are like yeah, oh my like god you can see their pores super but, I mean, megapixel cameras and stuff like that yeah i mean but i think that uh you know we're, we're still not quite there yet if i'm watching something you know streaming and it's it's like pixelated or i'm getting like a blu-ray and it's like pixelated and whatnot it, it, the cameras are just not and I, I know the whole, I mean, uh, now I'm ranting, okay, but no. I think that we're just not there. I, no, I, I, we're not. I mean, there, there's still, you still see dead pixels in, in new movies. Personally, one of the things I love in movies and TV, turn on Channel 6. And they turn on Channel 6 and there's just that exact piece of exposition that the detective needs to put it together. And he's like, I've got it. I figured out. I know who the killer is. I love when they say tur- turn on Channel 6 or whatever, and they turn it on, and it's right at the beginning of the broadcast. It's like, yeah. well, like, what? Like, how would they know to have turned it on if it was the beginning of the broadcast? I also like this one, too. W- once once we get done with the exposition, they don't turn the TV off, but the TV stops talking. <laughs> 
Because then the characters start talking, and it's like, is someone going to turn the volume? Oh, okay, I guess you don't need to turn the volume down because the newscaster just quit. Oh yeah, yeah, they did it for you. Or they're just sitting there, just staring at you. Like, wait, I would love wait. it if they if they made fun of a scene like that. You know, the turn it to channel five or six or whatever, and they do it, and it's like partway through city slickers or something, and the other character looks at him like, what? What does this have to do with what we were talking about? I don't know. I just really like this movie. <laughs> a commercial for uh, hemorrhoid cream. Now, sometimes, and, and, and this is the weird one, it, when you don't work in a certain industry, things can seem that's not how that works until you work in that industry. Like, I, I grew up watching WKRP in Cincinnati, and I thought, this is such an exaggerated version of working in local radio. Then I worked in local radio. WKRP is borderline a documentary. So I can't scream at that anymore. That's not how that works because you would not believe all of the things I experienced that are straight out of a WKRP episode that happened in real life. That huh. th- That's the disturbing part. Sometimes you go, that's not how that works. And then you work in that industry and you go, actually, yes, yes, that is how that works. I No, I think that a lot of things th- that people would think are unrealistic actually are realistic. Just uh, when you talk to people that are involved, it's from like, a certain oh, yeah, perspective, from a certain perspective, that's the way that things work. Uh, that's yeah. the way that uh, especially when it's something like, well, the bosses wouldn't do that. And it's like, nah, I've worked in this industry. Yeah, they totally would. I, I just I. I used to think WKRP made radio look so fun and so ridiculous, and it was just like a sitcom. And then when I worked in radio, I was like, this is not a sitcom. I've been warned. I I ignored the warnings. (laughs) You know, live TV was the same way. You always see these Mm. movies about live television and how chaotic it is, and it's like, no, it's not going to be like, every day you're not going to be running the tape like in broadcast news. I've literally had to do that. I've literally had to run the tape from one side of the station to another side of the station, avoiding the cameras, avoiding cables, avoiding people, to get the tape to master control so they could play it with just seconds to spare. That literally has happened. I've done that. So in cases like that, you you know, there are other people that'll go, oh, broadcast news, that's not how that works, and go, yes, yes it is. So sometimes it is how you look at it, but then there are other times, like, I love The Last Boy Scout, but when Jimmy Dix gets dropped off the bridge, bounces off the car, gets hit by another car, and then stands up and he doesn't even go to the hospital and they're just putting a little ice pack on his head, I'm going, shut up. Hey, there's him and there's Super Dave. That's true. And how many people even get the Super Dave reference anymore? God, that that makes me feel, I remember seeing reruns of that show. And it's Canadian too, yeah, bizarre. I remember he he had a special musical guest who was this little unknown person named Celine Dion. <laughs> I just remember the King of the Road bit where he's like on top of a truck trailer playing piano and there's a there's a low bridge. And the low Well that was his that was his shtick. It was always hey, we're I gonna love do this it. and it would end horribly. It would never go yeah, the I, way he wants it to. No. No. Uh, yeah, I think the well, I don't know. I think the majority of our audience skews uh, a little bit older, so they probably just, just uh, remember this one, fellas. If she don't know who Super Dave is, she might be too young for you, or she might be an American who didn't have HBO. Because see, so we only got that on, on HBO, so we had to pay to see Super Dave. Really? Oh, really? I, I, I got it on like regularly syndicated television. Right. I, I don't know in, in, what channel reran it, but I watched it all the time. Yeah, in, in America, Bizarre was, or no, it was uh, Showtime. Sorry, it was Showtime in America. Hmm. So we, we, it was pay cable because it had boobs in it. Seriously? I remember, I remember like seeing it on uh, 
like I think I remember seeing it on like regular television, or at least like maybe I remember him being it. on. Maybe they syndicated it. Oh, you know it what later? it was? It might have been syndicated, but also he was a regular. Like he would show up on like you know the Tonight yeah, Show. Yeah, and yeah, he would they show would up show on regular clips. TV. But he started on the Canadian sketch comedy series Bizarre, which we then Ooh. got on. Like I said, it was on Showtime, so we had to pay for it here. What would you rather have in a movie? Would you rather have? This is how that works. It, you know, even if it makes it a little less interesting and you go, that's more realistic. Or would you rather have just, you know what, screw it. It's a superhero movie, so physics don't matter. What, what kind of reality are you looking for? Or does it really matter on the type of movie? Like in Nightmare City, does that need to adhere to the same realism rules that Night of the Living Dead does? I think it it's it matters depending on the type of movie it is. I I want both. Sometimes it's good when a movie has both of those elements. Sometimes it's good when they really do their research and give you a really good crime thriller or police drama. And sometimes it's great when when they just don't when they don't give a shit. When they just give you something that's like ridiculously over the top and hilarious. Like as long as it's entertaining, that's all I want. I just want to be entertained. That's it. For the most part, I will err in favor of I don't want it to be uh realistic too much realism just will ruin something uh it it if it's if it's the right kind of movie i mean if it's so absurd and it doesn't make sense within the context of the movie then that's when i have a problem so it has to really uh blend uh, in general I would rather them be unrealistic, but then there are times when the movie warrants them to be realistic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really where it, it comes down to for me. If, and if, and if it's so bad that you notice it, like you're like, okay, this is really going out, then that's when I, I have a, a problem with it. But if it's yeah. skirting the lines of realism, showing things that, uh, uh, you know, aren't realistic, but it, it, it kind of either makes it cool or it pushes the story ahead in a certain way, I'm kind of all right with that. Well, there's stuff in, in movies that I, like, I, I consider RoboCop to be, like, my favorite movie, the original Verhoeven version. There is only I mean, one. that scene when Murphy's getting shot up, right. he would have went down with the first shotgun blast. That would have been it. He would have just been down, but not mm -hmm. dead, but definitely off his feet. How the hell is this guy staying up after, like, hundreds of shotgun rounds? I mean, that's... I'm a lot, I'm able to suspend my disbelief because it's meant to be very dramatic and over the top and it is what it is. It's a Paul Verhoeven 80s movie. So I think as long as the movie's good, as long as you're enjoying it, as long as it's entertaining, it doesn't matter too much because if everything was played straight and hyper realistic or whatever, we wouldn't have amazing movies like Samurai Cop. <laughs> okay, well then what about in the case of like a TV series, if it starts out relatively realistic and then gets... Kind of like Miami Vice? Well, I, I, I was thinking more Married with Children. Go and look at the first two hmm. seasons of that. Yes, it's still a sitcom and it's in an exaggerated world, but you can believe that these people exist in a real Chicago. By the time you get to season like eight or nine, they're a living Looney Tunes episode every week. Oh, that happens with, with most shows. Well, see, another one I'm thinking of, now again, you know, it's not realistic in the medical sense, but I always liked Chicago Hope. Played itself as a realistic show. And then they did a crossover with Early Edition, you know, the show about time travel. And you're kind of like, does that, does that add credibility to Early Edition or undercut the credibility of Chicago Hope? <laughs> when now time travel actually exists in this world. 
I think it's uh, for for the people that would watch the one show versus the other. I, I think it's uh, it's just kind of a neat little. All right, this you know this kind of exists. It's silly, but whatever. Again, it's television. I was I was more of a quantum leap guy myself. Okay, it, it, it would be like if the X Files and Twenty One Jump Street had a crossover, and you went somehow that doesn't hurt the credibility of the X Files, but it does of Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Also, I really, yeah. I really want to see Tom Hansen and Fox Mulder in a debate because that would be amazing. Well, unfortunately, oh, we're, oh, you know what? It's I was thinking X Files, but no, we're getting a Twenty One Jump Street Men in Black yeah, crossover. Yeah, they, Hopefully not. Wait, is that that's not actually happening? Is yeah, it? they're, they're, they're moving trying because they're they're putting out the Men in Black movie, uh, the Men in Black reboot now, and I think they're Wait. they're gonna try to to set it up why yeah, are they uh, rebooting men in black it's it's thor and the girl who was in ragnarok who was the Valkyrie. are they, are they at least going to do it more like the original comics where it's like dark and very illuminati and the, and the men in black uh, that, are the bad guys in the comic yeah yeah pretty much to me i think much like the mask i think that's the only way you could do it because the original yeah. was such a success but it was so different from the source material mm. and i think that like doing it more like the comics would be the only reason to do a reboot but i That'd can almost great. guarantee it's gonna be wacky well, okay on that note you know who is wacky is peter who's got to get ready to go to work but where can we find him at work, you can find me at work. Um, you can find me uh, at work, but also more often than not on uh, Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook the Cinematicist, YouTube the Cinematicist, on 1201beyond.com. I've got a I've got a new video out. Um, you can find me on uh, Patreon as well at Cinematica to give me your money. You should, and that's something you absolutely should do. If I could give you any any advice in life, anything that's going to help you along, just put put some money in in my wallet, and uh, good things will will come to you. Absolutely, I promise you this. Send one dollar to Happy Guy. When the, when a Happy Dude, hey, Happy Dude, the, the, that's it. Yes, Happy Dude. <laughs> so where can we find Cecil as Happy Dude? You can find me as Happy Dude over at uh, GoodBadFlicks.com as well as GoodBadFlicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And you can find me, the Neil deGrasse Tyson of bitching about movies, according to Cecil, at 1201beyond.com. And you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.